Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Southern New England's only home for sporting news radio. AM 1320, The Drive, WARL, Attleboro, Providence. Sporting News Radio. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320, The Drive, with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team right here on AM 1320 The Drive, as well as over the Internet at 1320thedrive.com. Joining me today in studio is Patty Vine of Providence Sports. And over the last week, the Revs didn't have a game on Saturday. They're finally getting some time off of a busy schedule. But on Wednesday, they had a game against the Kansas City Wizards, a divisional rival. Uh, 0-0 draw, kind of disappointing to be at home, especially with Kansas City on such a long a streak without a win. I believe there are nine or ten games without a nine win. Nine game winless streak. Exactly. And before that, uh, Kate played Kansas City earlier, had a 1-1 one, one tie at this streak as well. So uh, this is a team that you'd hope the Revs could get some points out of more than just a tie, especially at home. So it was a disappointing result. Where's the offense, Sean? That's my question tonight. Where are the goals? And uh, a year ago, we were outscoring our opponents 40-22 to 22 this year. We've produced 27 goals only and surrendered 27 goals. So I, my main point with respect to Revolution is they have to start scoring goals because we saw Kansas City come on fire last night and beat uh, beat Columbus four to nothing. So there, and as you mentioned, it was with a couple of the goal scores either not producing or on the bench. So they have the weapons to to score goals. And we're going to see, uh, I think, some changes in terms of the uh, standings. Well, hopefully the Revs do get out of the spunk. But the questions are, uh, with Andy Dorman, they moved him into the cent- center of midfield. He'd been doing so well on the right wing. He's playing well in center midfield as too, but as far as on the right wing, he was their biggest offensive threat really this year with the goals and the assists, and now they've kind of put him in a position where he's less apt to be getting forward and getting those great crosses in. So uh, that's a question of, uh, is it that important to have Joe Franchino on the field that you take off your biggest offensive weapon and move him into the, mid- the middle of the central midfield there? Right. So this week, our game will be against Chicago, and hopefully... Steve Nichol will see that he needs to change, make a few changes in order to get Andy Dorman back in position to, to do the type of things that will result in some goals. Well, we talk about the 0-0 draw on Wednesday. He, after the game, 
uh, Nickel talked about the substitutions, and he seemed to think that they were making a lot of substitutions and making these changes in the games, but uh, it's quite clear that they haven't been as far as uh, maybe making one sub, but when they have a guy like Jose Cancela, their second leader in assist, and they have Willie Sims, who's been showing some promise recently, especially with speed, which is something that the Revs maybe lack, especially up top. That's no, no knock on Taylor Twelman, who's an excellent goal scorer, but I think everyone would admit that speed is not the strength of the revolution, and that's something, especially late in a game, it's great to see fresh legs like Willie Sims come off the bench. And Jose Cancela, as you mentioned, as well. And we actually have the comments from Steve Nichol, and we can play those now. Yeah, we carried, you know, the first 20 minutes, they gave us a bit of trouble breaking from the middle of the park. But other than that, you know, for me, 70 minutes, we totally dominated the game. Uh, and we couldn't, just couldn't quite break them down. When it mattered. You've been very sparing in your use of subs in recent matches. Do you feel that the, the players you put out in the field are, are on there for 90 minutes unless something goes wrong or physically? We've actually made a lot of subs in the last few games, <laughs> to be honest with you. What about tonight? Uh, I mean, you don't have, you have Sims available, you got Cancelo available. Did you not think they could have? Added something or shaking it enough? No, I think, I, I think, you know, the one thing last season we did was, uh, you know, we scored a hell of a lot of late goals. And, and that's not fluke. That's not by chance. That's because everybody's in tune with what's going on. And everybody sticks at it and we were holding good positions and getting forward. So, you know, we, we kind of we roll with that. You know, we made the change with Joey. We cannot just to maybe try and get... Get a wee bit of pace against the fullback and get some more balls in. Um, but generally, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the play we've had, particularly tonight, has been excellent. Um, and we were in a good flow, so that was, you know, really we don't want to upset the flow too much, whether it's going forward or you know when it's breaking down defensively. Uh, and that's why we we don't make any unless unless we have to. Even again. Uh, I know you talked about earlier about shot selection and being a little bit more aggressive 20 yards in. It seemed like tonight there was a, several opportunities where you guys could have shot and then looked for the pass that uh, struck you tonight. Yeah, no, we've been talking about it, about, you know, when they, when they don't come and close us down uh, to, to let it go. But, you know, I think, I think the one thing that's, that's certainly happened this season is teams are coming in bed and, um, you know, there's always, always bodies behind the ball. Um, and it's difficult, uh, but that's that's another reason why we should be taking taking shots to try and draw somebody out to leave a hole. And that was Steve Nichols' comments from the game on Wednesday. Uh, as far as his comments about shooting, that is something that we haven't seen from the Revs as far as shooting outside the box. And it's, it's almost with guys like Pat Noonan who have been such great goal scorers. He hasn't scored in over a year now, and that seems like uh, he's almost afraid to shoot. And you looking for the pass. Uh, worked out well against Chicago with his pass to Twelman, but sometimes you have to take a shot, and that's been something with the Revs where they're getting in positions to shoot, and maybe they're trying to take one too many passes and rather than just shooting the ball. We were commenting about that. Where, where's the, the long-range shooting? There, there isn't any this season, and, and the result is we have ten ties, more than any other team. Uh, we've got six victories, but I'm... Uh, you see, I saw teams uh, yesterday, like the Wizards, taking the long-range shots, Chivas, uh, game-winning goals. Uh, we have to get goal scoring, not just talk about it, as Steve Nichols said. Let, let's put this into action, because it's, it's ten games left, oh. and a lot can happen now that uh, New York is back in the picture. 
we've certainly seen the Revs get burnt on long-range shots themselves. So uh, that's something that, as far as with crosses, they seem to focus a lot on getting the cross into the box under the head of Twelman and Noonan. But pretty much uniquely, I'd say this season. Exactly, and so it makes them pretty predictable in the attack. Um, and really, they can just focus on covering those guys in the box, where with the long-range shots, it will force them to come out more and know that there's a threat outside of the box, not just in it. And that would you know, really change the dynamics of their attack and help them to get more goals, hopefully. <laughs> well, it's going, to, it's going to be a very interesting third quarter, uh, third uh, and fourth quarter of the season, ten games left. Uh, we see that... Uh, we've got some games coming up. The Red Bulls against D.C. That should be a very interesting matchup to see just how far D.C. You know will will go this season. And of course, we've got two key games impacting really the Revolution. I believe with the Kansas City, Chicago games on Monday and Wednesday night. Two very important games. Um, haven't mentioned it yet, but earlier. Uh, we did not have a show last Sunday, so uh, the U.S. Open Cup game was last Wednesday. And that game, the Revs actually won on penalty kicks. Um, I've talked about in the past disappointments of the Revs not really going all out in the Open Cup, but they did this time, and they got the victory over the Rochester Raging Rhinos on penalty kicks. Um, away, a very tough game going into Rochester in their brand-new stadium. And for the team that's been the best at the U.S. Open Cup of any team below MLS level, so... Uh, excellent victory there. Now they move on to the quarterfinals where uh, you talked about the Chicago-Kansas City game. That was supposed to be played the same night, but because of weather, that was postponed till Monday. So the victor of that game will play the Revs, and if Kansas City comes out on top, there will actually be a home game, and the Revs recently announced that that game would actually be played at Gillette Stadium. Um, and if Chicago wins, then it will be in Chicago. But, so I think uh, Revs fans should be rooting for Kansas City to win that game. Exactly. That will be Wednesday, August 23rd, 10 days from now. And... Hopefully, Kansas City will win, so we will get that home game in Gillette Stadium. Uh, if Chicago should win tomorrow night, then the game will be played in Toyota Park in Bridgeview, Illinois. Just to mention the other games, Colorado Rapids will face in the U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal, the Galaxy. Uh, that'll be in Home Depot Center. The Dallas and Houston, that's becoming the you know real rivalry. Although Houston did beat Dallas yesterday and they, they you know there's a cannon at stake, an actual real cannon so that Houston Dynamo is going to keep that cannon uh, until next year uh, that'll be a great matchup Red Bulls versus DC they're going to be seeing a lot of each other because they have the game this Wednesday which is a regular league game and then they'll be facing each other in the US Open Cup that's a great rivalry especially now that Bruce Arena the former coach of DC is coaching the Red Bulls Exactly, and of course, New England, a rival to be determined tomorrow night. Is it going to be Kansas City or Chicago? After the uh, routing of Kansas City, it seems over um, Columbus. Columbus seems like Kansas City is hopefully kind of on a roll and. Yeah, and Chicago, I believe, came out with 2-1 loss to Chivas. So to Chivas, Hopefully exactly. Kansas City can continue that form in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, but we don't want them to continue that form in the league as they're only three points behind the Revs now. Well, that's it. And as, as I looked at the Eastern Conference, there's only six points separating Chicago from New England. Kansas City, New York, we have 28 points. Of course, D.C. in a category all their own, 19 points um, ahead of everyone else. 25 for Kansas City, 24 for New York, and 22 for Chicago. 
Columbus, I'm going to say then, then just not going to make the playoffs this year. If you look candidly, and they've had four wins all season out of 22 games. I'm going to count them out. How about you, Sean? Well, they're a team that's been really disappointing. They brought in a great coach in Siggy Schmidt, who has done so well in the past with the Los Angeles Galaxy, but uh, he hasn't been able to change the team. So at this point, it does look like they're not making a push for the playoffs, especially with the disappointing 4 to nothing loss to Kansas City. Unless they can change something rapidly, uh, their hopes are fading fast. But the East is a division that's wide open right now, other than wide first open. place. Any wide team could open. make the playoffs. Any team could fall out at this point. And that's, so. that's my point in saying that if New England doesn't get more offensive, they're not going to make the playoffs. Well, the other thing there when you're looking at the standings is the games in hand where the Revs have played more games than most of their divisional rivals. I believe New York has two games in hand and they're only like and four Chicago points too. back. Chicago too. And so uh, winning those two games, that their destiny is in the hands of those two teams and not in the Revs with those games in hand. So exactly. they have to start getting these wins and not these ties. We have lost having our destiny in our own hands because of all these ties and no offensive firepower, even though we have the players that can put in the goals. So, um, on another note, how about, Sean, all the sellouts we saw this week with the presence in the U.S. of Barcelona and Real Madrid? What huge crowds, beginning with the Revolution doubleheader last week, Barcelona Chivas, Guadalajara, and Revs Guadalajara. I mean, Revs Chivas USA. And there were excellent games, too, especially... uh, They'll also talk about the All-Star game last weekend, which... Start with the oh, All-Star on Saturday, game, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea playing the MLS All-Stars. Um, All-Stars played uh, Fulham, the, Fulham the year before, and they came off with a 4-1 to win. Uh, this year, they're playing the English champions uh, against Chelsea FC. Uh, the $200 million roster there against an MLS roster, All-Star roster, that was probably about $2 million worth of players, and as far as salaries go and came off with an excellent one nothing victory. Of course, Chelsea was their first game of the preseason. Uh, signs show that they weren't necessarily in their best shape, uh, and they weren't necessarily getting together with some of the new players. But still an excellent win against very quality opposition. Exactly. So then you see a game that you and I both watched of Real Madrid versus D.C. United. High quality. An excellent game. High quality. The first excellent half, game. The first half, D.C. played, showed what they're capable of and played very well against Real Madrid. Real Madrid actually End-to-end played an excellent action. game as well. Uh, and second half, D.C., obviously the fitness, the fatigue was the there. Fatigue. Uh, you could see that Real Madrid brought on a completely new 11, basically, going into the second half. D.C. didn't have the depth to really do that. And that's another thing with this league where you don't see... Uh, well, there's very few teams in the world that can have the depth to bring on a complete new starting 11 and pull it out. But Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, those are teams that can. D.C. United, not there yet. But they proved to be an excellent opponent for Real Madrid. Excellent. So I don't think really showed signs of being uh, lost for fitness where you saw from Chelsea. So I think that was an excellent game and an excellent job by the league to arrange that friendly and see how well that D.C. did. And they weren't even playing with home field advantage there, as it should be noted, as it was in Seattle. 67,000 in Quest Stadium in Seattle. So, in addition to a fabulous game, look at the crowds that these, from a marketing point of view, from an exposure, a lot of people that are not avid soccer fans go to these games and become avid soccer fans. And, of course, last night there were two uh, big matches as well with Barcelona taking on the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Barcelona winning that game 4-1. to one. 
Uh, going into halftime, it was tied 1-1. New York was playing a pretty good game. Obviously, Barcelona were the better team in that match and deserved, the, deserved to win. But I think that was another game where it showed what the substitutions in the second half really changed the game, uh, where the Red Bulls were having some good offensive flow in the first half. The second half, it was all Barcelona. All Barcelona. Once again, I look at attendance, 79,000, second most ever at Giant Stadium. And uh, the previous high was an, an MLS All-Star game of 78,416. So we had over 79,000. And that 78,000 MLS All-Star game was in 1996. We're going back 10 years. So, you know, we're doing things right when we can get these crowds, these type of crowds. That's obviously Barcelona is going to be a big, very big draw. But to get Barcelona to come here for the preseason... And to do this. And they also had, when Barcelona played uh, Club America, the Mexican team, in Houston, that was the largest crowd ever for any soccer game in Texas history. So we're breaking records all over this past week with the presence of these three uh, superior European teams. And the teams themselves seem to be uh, enjoy the trip and want to come back. Uh, Frank Lampard of Chelsea uh, said that this was their best. This going to the U.S. is by far their best preseason that they've had. Uh, Ronaldinho was talking about how everyone says soccer isn't popular in the U.S., but after going to the game, it was clearly that that's changing and that uh, it is a popular sport here. A lot of the players seem to be very impressed with training here, and it seems like something that uh, we will see more of because it certainly made a good impression with the fans here and the teams as well from some of those comments. To me, Sean, in addition to the crowds and these impressive uh, 90 plus thousand 70,000 record breaking attendance at these games involving Chelsea, Barcelona and Real Madrid what about in Salt Lake they didn't have a stadium but now they have a stadium they because Real Madrid came and the owner operator uh, said wait a minute, David Beckham is going to shovel the first <laughs> shovel of ground for our new stadium, or I'm getting this team out of here. He gave them an ultimatum, because I was surprised to read that. Last I knew, Rail Salt Lake was not going to have a stadium, and was going to be possibly out of the area. But now, spur of the moment, threats, whatever... Rail Salt Lake has now got a fabulous deal going for a stadium, um, and they won't lose a team. And I think one of the best things that happened was David Beckham breaking ground for the new stadium. If Rail uh, Madrid didn't come here, I I think that could have been in doubt. It was a dead deal. It was dead in the water. That's the other big news of the week, not just them, but the New York Red Bulls making the announcement the same day, really, that they're having their own stand built. That looks to be an excellent facility as well. Fabulous. So, great news for the league. The more of these soccer-specific stadiums, the better. And it should be mentioned, the Real Madrid-Real Salt Lake game, Real Madrid won that 2 nothing. But Salt Lake actually put up a great performance, and I think we're unlucky by that scoreline. So, uh, it's proven that these MLS teams... Uh, have some talent, especially with Jeff Cunningham. He was a player that caused Salt Lake, I mean Real Madrid, a lot of trouble. Edson Buttle caused Barcelona a lot of trouble. So 
that is also promising for the future of the U.S. national team to see some of these forwards, where which may have been a weak spot from the U.S. national team, now, do well in these great defenses. I think prior to this, we sort of kind of thought Real Salt Lake wasn't going to do too much. Now I'm changing my tune on that because Jeff Cunningham is now the top goal scorer. Uh, they had a fabulous victory this week, four to nothing over Colorado. I believe that was the final score line. This new stadium, the the confidence now that the community has given to the team, I think we might see them in the playoffs. Well, now over the phone, we're joined by Revolution midfielder Andy Dorman. Andy, can you hear me? Yep, I can. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot for joining us today. No problem. And you've had an excellent season, really a breakout year, starting every game and uh, offensively, uh, five goals, eight assists, up there, right up there at the top of the assist chart. Um, what do you think has made the difference this year as compared to last year's, where maybe you're seeing most of your time off the bench? Uh, yes, well, I think that's a big factor. Obviously, um, the starting the games and not coming off the bench, um, you, you know, you settle into the game a lot quicker. Um, and you get into the pace of the game right at the start, which gives you the best chance, you know, to do well in in the game. Um, and then I've also found myself in more of an attacking position in quite a few of the games, so that that's helped a lot with the, uh, I guess, kind of the attacking statistics. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess it's more more to do with that. And it seems that you've moved for several of the games on the right midfield. Is that a hard transition to make? Uh, no, it's not not too difficult. Um, it's no, it's not it's not too bad. Um, I guess playing in the centre um, with Clint playing in front of us, it's more it's it's more of a defensive minor position uh, than playing out wide. Um, so the main change is is, is kind of playing, you know, having your first thought to defend instead of attack. Whereas on the right, um, you're kind of looking to go forward and get get behind and get the get the crosses in. Andy, this is Patty Vine from Providence Sports. We've had a lot of tied games this year, 10. That's uh, the highest number of uh, ties of any team in the league, and we, of course, had a 0-0 tie. I'm concerned about the lack of goals this scored this year. Could you make any comment on that? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, um, like obviously we're not producing as many goals as we were last year. Um, so that, you know, it's one concern from for us as well. Um, and then games like last year that we would have been winning, you know, one nil or whatever, sneaking a goal. Um, this year we've been we've been tying them. Um, so yeah, we've just got to keep working hard, keep working hard in training, at, at finishing and creating chances. And then hopefully down the stretch, when it comes to the playoffs and or getting into the playoffs first, and and then the playoffs, uh, hopefully we can start banging in the goals. Has it been hard for for you to um, really with players coming in injured and coming back for to be changing the back and forth between uh, central midfield and right midfield? Um, no, nah, not not too not too bad. Um, we're just trying to get all our players fit at the moment and, and ready to go. Um, we're pretty much settling down now into a, a steady steady eleven players that, that are being fielded every game. So that that helps a lot. Um, whereas at the start of the season we were kind of mixing uh, mixing and matching. Uh, so that takes away a bit of chemistry going forward because you you know you're playing with new players every every game and you don't you know you have to adapt to their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but at the moment uh, we don't have any excuses like that. We we're all playing together. We all played together before, so you know we need to start scoring goals. And with the formation, it seems the start of the year at the three four three, but recently the team's gone back to the three five two that they've done uh, real well with. Do you think that's 
kind of made a change for the team where uh, it seems like they've been playing better, maybe with the goals not coming, but is the formation change something that's maybe helping the team out and maybe going to help turn the corner there as far as turning some of these ties into wins? Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, nothing sort of up there. You pretty much said it all, yeah. Um, hopefully the new formation, the three-five-two starts working and we can start scoring goals and winning games. Andy, you've had a nice progression in terms of your career with the Revolution starting this year, uh, last year kind of being a sub. Do you have any aspirations of playing in Europe? Um, yeah, for sure, yeah. I'd love, love to go back home and play. My family's all at home um, back in England. Um, so I, I'd love to go back and play in front of them at some stage in my career. Um, hopefully the, the uh, opportunity does arise. But, um, you know, I'm happy in, in Boston and in, in America at the moment. So um, as far as any short-term plans of going, I, I don't really have any. And with your great play this season, there's been some talk of as far as international stage. Uh, in the past, I've heard that you're ineligible for Wales. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So would England be the only team that you're nas- that you're eligible for? Yeah, yeah, just England. Is it possible in the future that you would be able to acquire American citizenship, and would that be something you consider as far as playing for the U.S.? Um, yeah, no, yeah. Um, I've called America my home for the last six years, so you know the opportunity to play for them would be fantastic. Um, I've got my green card at the moment, so I guess I have to wait until whatever the time limit is um, until I can become a citizen. Um, so, yeah, after that, I'm not too sure about the, the football and the, or the soccer rules, if you can um, become available to play for America in, like, whatever, three or f- three, four years, uh, in three, three or four years' time. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I would love to, to play for America. And with the team this year, uh, as far as players coming in from the draft, it seems like they haven't had the impact player from... Uh, Clint Dempsey or Michael Parker. So there have been some solid players in Willie Sims and Kyle Brown. But you think that's something that uh, maybe has changed with the team this year where they haven't gotten that extra you know, starting caliber player out of the draft that maybe hurt the team a little bit? Um, not necessarily. No, not, not, not really because um, we already had enough, uh, enough players as it was at the start of the year. Um, you know, you can't really expect their rookies to come in every year and, you know, tear it up like, like the last, like Mike, uh, Clint, Taylor, Noons have, have done. Um, you know, that would be unfair on the, on the, the person themselves. Um, but um, it's mainly, I'd say it's more to do with inju- injuries and changing teams and stuff, having to change the lineup for every game than it is for a rookie to come in and, you know, burst onto the scene. Um, but Willie and Carl have done done well uh, when they've come on. Um, they just haven't had that bit of luck to, to get the goal um, at times when you know they need it and it could lift their confidence and hopefully hopefully give it, you know give them a chance to play every week in week out. And with the U.S. Open Cup, could you talk about how you know last year the team used it as an opportunity to get some younger players' experience and really rest some of the starters? Has the team put more of an importance, like more value, on the Open Cup this year as opposed to previous years? Um, well, we were always keen to, to do well in the Open Cup uh, in the last two years that I've been here. And, um, but I guess in terms of playing, starting the, the the first team, I guess, yeah, this year's the first time we've really done that and given it a real good go. Um, but, yeah, we, we all we all want to win the U.S. Open Cup, you know, and get some silverware on the table for, uh, for our supporters and, you know, um, for, for ourselves as well. 
You're going to face in the U.S. Open Cup on August 23rd either Chicago or Kansas City. Do you have a preference as to which team? Of course, there would be a home game in yeah, Gillette Stadium. We, um, whichever the home tie is, to be honest. I'm not sure if it's Chicago or Kansas City. It's going to be Kansas City. has to beat Chicago tomorrow for us to get the home game. So you really feel the home... T- could you talk about that a bit, Andy, the home field advantage? We're going into the final stretch. We have, I believe, nine or games at home. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very important, um, mainly because you can get your rest in between games. Um, if you're traveling all over the place, it just it, the, the flights just take it out of you. Um, and then you know, there's nothing that beats sleeping in your own bed um, and keeping the same pre-match uh, rituals. Um, so yeah, we just got to make sure we're taking all the points, um, the maximum amount of points we can from all our home games starting next week against Chicago. I'm going to change the subject a little bit here, but uh, you decided to come over here from uh, Great Britain to go to college at Boston University and continue your soccer there, and now it sounds like your brother's doing the same thing. Is that uh, something that... Have, have, did you advise him to do that from having a great experience doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really advise him too much. He's just he, He's been over and watched watched some of our games and he's been over and stayed in the city of Boston and he like really liked the city and you know then the opportunity arose for him to come out here so he kind of jumped at the chance and then he's just been going with the flow ever since I uh, just got back from his, one of his games actually so one of his games where is he playing soccer now oh, he's playing at the same school that I went to Boston University and as far as Wales and players from there, is that something that maybe is going to become more of an option for them to come over to the U.S. and continue their schooling and keep up soccer? Is that something that maybe looks uh, more of a viable option now, especially since you've done that? Do you think maybe you've set an example? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe. Um, I know a couple of lads that have come out this year as well um, to play. Um, but, I mean, it's. I think... I don't know. I think it's, it's all to do with the NTAs as well. Um, if if they keep continue to let foreign players come over and uh, ex- you know let them let them play soccer over here, because obviously the you know the development of U- U.S. soccer has been great of late, especially the youth players. Um, so I don't know if they're going to try and phase out foreign players coming over or or you know what's going to happen. But um, you know I'd recommend it to anybody back home if they, if they had the chance to do it. Andy, last Sunday night's game uh, against Chivas USA in the doubleheader, uh, neither Sean nor I had the opportunity to be in the Coliseum. Could you describe the atmosphere at 92,000-plus fans? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was brilliant. I've never seen anything like it firsthand. Um, the reception that Ronald Dino got was unbelievable. Um, all the flashes in the crowd, all the people taking their photographs of him was... <laughs> pretty crazy um, and then just to hear that many people into a game um, especially MLS game as well because we probably had about 60,000 people there when we played um, and hearing their reaction to the goals and certain incidents it was, it was crazy Do you think the uh, great thing that the league is doing having all these uh, top class teams come over like the Revs that had the opportunity to play Celtic earlier in the year and seeing other teams play Barcelona and Real Madrid is that an uh, excellent opportunity that the league is uh, creating for these players? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's great for us to play against players that you watch on TV, you know, um, and just kind of try and compare yourself to them. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, as long as it doesn't mix up with the schedule too much, it, it, uh, it's you know, it's a great thing for the, the teams and the players. Andy, you've been starting a lot of games, so you've played uh, full games, quite a few full games this year. What has been your toughest opponent, whether it was win-loss or tie? What has been the toughest game and toughest opponent? And who do you think will uh, come out ahead in terms of qualifying for the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? Um, as far as probably the toughest game, the toughest game I think we probably played in was the uh, the Real Salt Lake game in terms of the whole thing of flying out there and playing up in the, in the heat and in the altitude um, and on the turf it was, that game was a real grind and that's probably the one that stands out the most um, but obviously in terms of the Eastern Conference DC are, are pretty much running away with it right now um, so obviously they're going to be getting the number one seed uh, in the Eastern Conference so I'd say they're, they've, they're probably the favourites and when you were drafted by the Revs in 2004 in the sixth round, did you ever imagine that you'd be where you are today? Um, no, I didn't really. Uh, never, I didn't really know what to expect um, coming into to play for the team after being drafted so late, and um, you know, um, just com- coming in and playing for the Revs in, in the MLS. I hadn't really seen too much of the, the games um, on TV or anything. So yeah, I, I didn't have a clue, but uh, it's been going well so far. And when you came in in 2004, the league uh, hadn't established the reserve league yet. And for the past few years now they've had it. Do you think that's a great opportunity and a great thing that they've added to get players that aren't seeing first-team time action and even another chance to impress the coaches? Yeah, definitely. Um, pretty much everything you said. You know, the main thing is fitness. Uh, the players get get the chance to keep up with their fitness because otherwise it's real tough when the first team are playing every uh, you know, every especially the way we've been doing it Wednesday and Saturday, um, and those players will end up having those days off, and they can do a little bit of fitness training. You know, but not nothing the same as playing in games. So the opportunity for them to play on the, the Sunday or the Saturday night after games is uh, is brilliant. Um, just hopefully they can kind of work it where the reserves play more games as well, um, and then our squad sizes will need to be a little bit bigger. But um, obviously, then you, you you know you don't have any problems when injuries come around. And you trained over the off-season with Ipswich Town in England. Uh, did Paul Mariner set that up, and how was that experience? And really, do you think that helped get you off to such a fast start for this season? Um, yeah, Paul set it up. He sorted everything out for me and Jeff, which was brilliant of him. Um, he's a big-time legend over there in Ipswich. Um, so, you know, all he did was make a call, and then we were sorted out for the uh, Christmas break. Um, yeah, I mean, it helped a lot, especially just to keep... Keep fitness and keep kicking the ball and not lose your touch. Um, and then I guess it kind of gives you, you know, an extra couple of weeks advantage over all the players that haven't been uh, training over over the Christmas with it with a club. Um, and then that carried over into pre-season. And I've been lucky so far that I haven't had any injuries as well, which has meant I've been able to maintain my fitness, which is good. Um, so that that always helps. And growing up over in uh, England and Wales, uh, you were a big fan of Liverpool and uh, the European Champions League. And uh, now that the league is thinking of starting their, uh, now the Concacaf is working on their own Champions League. Uh, do you think that's a great opportunity and going to be a, you know, great boost for the league and great opportunity to play against some of the top teams in the region? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we got the chance obviously to play this year against the uh, Costa Rican team, which was great. Um, it could have been, you know, a bit later in the season, so we. 
actually had a you know a decent chance of pro- progressing, but um, the experience of playing down there and seeing a different different atmosphere and a different uh, culture was was great. Um, and then obviously the uh, the result didn't go to plan, but it, it was great being down there. And that's the thing with this new Champions League is the pros that will be during the MLS season. How important is that that uh, the team will be in like mid-season form rather than in pre-season form going into it? Oh yeah, it's, it's crucial. Um, so rusty at the start of the year and your fitness, particularly the last 20 minutes of the game, is just not there. Um, so you know, the, for the, probably the first 70 minutes of both legs, we were doing well, um, but. After that, you're kind of struggling and just, you know, trying to get your second win, which doesn't really come. Um, but if you're playing later in the in the season, obviously in the MLS season, uh, you know, you're, you're match sharp. There's no excuses, um, and you can fit yourself hopefully well against teams from other countries. And recently, the team has had a very hectic schedule, but finally getting a break off. Do you think this came at the right time? This long break off. Um, it could have come a week earlier, but yeah, no, it's it's nice. It's been nice to be off, and we've got um, a couple of weeks like before in between games. We're, we're kind of playing on on the weekends, and know that there's no midweek games, which is brilliant because it gives you time to rest and recover and train properly during the week. And the upcoming game next weekend is against Chicago Fire, a team that uh, kind of been building a rivalry with recently, uh, knocking them out of. The playoffs in the previous time and Chicago knocking the Revs out of the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, how big is that game, and uh, will that rivalry expand even further if Chicago should Chicago beat Kansas City, and then just the mm-hmm. next Wednesday we'll be playing Chicago again? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we play teams in the Eastern Conference quite a lot, so you get to uh, form good rivalries with them. Um, and you know, Chicago seems to be in the te- one of the teams that we've been kind of battling with for, for certain positions or certain um, competitions. Um, so yeah, we're just we're looking forward to the game. Should be good. And with all the recent news last week about uh, Salt Lake getting their own stadium, New York getting their own stadium, and there's even been talk about the Revs building their own stadium. How important do you think it is that these teams be playing in soccer-specific stadiums? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's great for for those teams. Um, Obviously, I haven't seen the New York or Salt Lake Stadium or their plans, but um, the Chicago Stadium's uh, brilliant. Um, it's perfect size for, for soccer, um, good atmosphere, um, and hopefully one day pretty soon the uh, the Revs will have the same thing. Well, I'd like to thank you a lot for joining us today. No problem. And good luck in the rest of the season. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me on. That was Revolution midfielder Annie Dorman, who's had an excellent season. Uh, right now, I'd say he's my pick for the MVP between him and maybe Matt yeah. Reese for how well they've been Reece. playing. But uh, well, as we were talking about Matt Reese earlier, he had an excellent game against excellent Kansas City. Game. He kept them into that game. Kept. Uh, they were a little. They were lucky to have won that game with some of the chances Kansas City had, just as they were unlucky not to have scored on theirs. Exactly, Matt Reese. Uh, he is probably my choice for MVP so far. I'm hoping that. I will be changing my mind on that, but I really would rather see one of our midfielders or forwards be my choice. But right now, after Thursday night, he was MVP. Well, certainly with the breakout season Andy Dorman's had, I think he was unlucky not to have been selected to the all-star roster, as you saw uh, Twelman and Matt Reese get selected as reserves uh, to the inactive roster. Obviously, the Revs were not going to be playing in that game due to the Chivas-USA game the next day. But I think that would have been a great... Exposure uh, award for him and something yeah. that he deserved with how well he's been playing this season. And the exposure that those players got being selected. 
And as far as Matt Reese we were talking about before, um, the saves he's made this season, his his goals against average uh, it hasn't been the best in the league, but his save percentage is third best only behind oh. Tony Miola, John Conway. Uh, as far as game-saving saves, if they had that set, stat, I would, I'm sure he'd be tops. Uh, I believe he leads the league in saves right now, which is, is another thing as far as the defense um, leading these fine. shots. Defense, I think we can we can say we're we're okay. Well, part of the thing is the pressure on the defense is because of the lack of offense. Where, lack of offense uh, it requires Matt Reese to keep make these big saves to keep him in the game. And I don't. I mean, I think he could keep that up, but we still have to make a change. Oh, we we're facing some stiff composite competition down down the road here, and. I'm concerned about us even making the playoffs if we don't get that offensive firepower going. And Matt Reese was actually concerned about um, some of the fouling going on in that game, especially from Nick Garcia in particular. And he was kind of angry that the ref didn't call more things. Where, uh, and I'd agree with him, where you see guys like Shari Joseph, who have been, uh, at least earlier in the season, getting tons of yellow cards for uh, questionable yellow cards for debate, you know, plays that maybe were a foul but weren't worthy of a yellow card. It seems like. Uh, almost having a reputation that has been get, getting cards for the reputation where a guy like Charlie Joseph really isn't a dirty player, so I don't know where that came from. But uh, Matt Reese is angry about that, and we can have quotes from him that we can play now. Anytime you play against them, the whole thing is they just grab and hold. And uh, I think in the first half, Taylor got tackled from behind by Nick Garcia, and they probably went called the other way. Was that a penalty in the six he, uh, Clint. Clint. I, he, uh, the game back in Kansas City he tackled Clint and um, got no call on that. And you know, it's uh, we got players on our team that have a reputation for get, for kicking people, and as soon as they do kick somebody, they get a yellow card, and it's pretty unbelievable that that he isn't thrown out of more games. You know, we're not looking to get people kicked out of games. We're just looking to play a, a straight up fair game, but it, it never seems to go that way. I mean, it seems like uh, it's a fine line a lot of times, you know, this game, you know, one thing or two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, the referee's one thing, but the referee isn't the one that's, you know, wearing the blue jerseys out there. We are, and um, we can't leave it up into the referee's hands to make the call. we got to to do what we need to do to get the game, you know, to score goals and, and win the game outright. Do you think the team was suffering from uh, fatigue of the heavy schedule recently? You know, this this game actually, I don't think we were fatigued at all. I think we, you know, we, we showed really well. We showed a lot of fight till the end, and um, this game, out of all of them, I don't think the the fatigue was a factor. Final pass seemed to be missing tonight. Yeah, no, just uh, just everything in the final third, our, our crossing, our shooting, our finishing, just you know, just needs to get sharper. But you know, we've made strides and we've gotten better, and uh, you know, we're in a good position here uh, coming into the final stretch to to do well and uh, to get to the playoffs in a good position. you think uh, it was unfortunate, the team was unfortunate not to get a call uh, in the ninth minute on that handball? Um, you know, calls are calls and it's up to the referee. Um, but we we can't hope that the referee is going to make a call on a questionable handball. So um, either we got to make it obvious that we're getting fouled or, you know, we got to just put it away and, uh, without the help of the referee. That was Revolution goalkeeper Matt Reese, who's been having an excellent season so far. Uh, as we mentioned, saving the team in that game. But he was talking about the fouls from Kansas City, and it has seemed that the Revs have been unfortunate, especially on their penalty kick calls. And that was something last year as well, that you saw the team rarely getting penalty kicks uh, for them, where 
well, well below the league average as far as penalty kicks called for them. And I think they were unfortunate in that game not to have one or two on that handball late in the game and the foul earlier. Well, it seems like I saw the same thing in the Chivas-Chicago game. Chivas-Ante uh, Rossoff got a foul in the box. The referee didn't call. It's the first time I've ever seen Bob Bradley change the expression on his face. He was pacing the sideline. He was out of his mind, furious with the referee. And later on, they did get a penalty called against them, so Chivas ended up... Oh, and two seconds later, Chicago scored a tying game while every player was protesting that uh, there was no penalty called. So I don't know if it's a league thing or it's certainly not just the refs because I did see the same thing. I don't know what, what the referee's name was in the Chivas Chicago game last night. Blatant penalty that wasn't called. Well, that's another thing. Uh, as Reese was saying, that's where you have to take it upon yourself to not rely on the referee's call. And Chivas did that and managed to come back and win that game uh, despite the, that bad call. So that's something that the refs... I think that's something that the Reds need to work on, where uh, maybe frustration over not getting the calls and focusing too much on that and rather needing to work harder to get their own goals and not worry about the referees' calls. Well, obviously, Bob Bradley and Chief, it almost cost them the game because uh, Chicago came right back and tied while everybody was uh, upset and protesting, including Bob Bradley. I've never seen his expression change. He He really doesn't show that much emotion, but he was... He was out of his mind when that penalty kick wasn't, because it was such a blatant uh, penalty inside the box. On another note, this week, Sean, the FIFA Under-20 Women's, we we don't hear too much about women's soccer, unfortunately, because of um, the league not being in existence anymore. There's the FIFA Under-20 Women's World Championship taking place in Russia, of all places. This week, starting um, on Thursday... August 17th. The U.S., there's four groups for the first time. There's 16 teams participating in the under-20 women's uh, world, well, you call it a World Cup. Uh, the U.S. is in uh, Group D with the, the Congo, Argentina, and France. Group A is headed by Russia along with Australia and New Zealand and Brazil. Group C is Switzerland, Mexico, Germany and North Korea and Group B which is known as the Group of Death in this particular tournament is made up of Nigeria, China Finland and Canada so this tournament is going to start this week, it's played in uh, stadiums in Moscow uh, and St. Petersburg the U.S. women women's under 20 team will start out Thursday against the Congo. That will take place in the Torpedo Stadium in Moscow, Russia. Then they play again next Monday, the 21st of August, against Argentina. And that also is in Torpedo Stadium. And the first round obviously finishes on Thursday, the 24th of August, when the U.S. under-20 women play France. So this is going to be, I think, a really interesting tournament in terms of of course, women's soccer, because these would be the players that would be uh, in the next women's national team. Uh, there is a U.S. game, uh, women against China. That's going to be on August 27th in Toyota Park. And it's also interesting because as far as the women's team compared to the men's team, there really is no correlation as far as uh, where you'll see Brazil are the f- always the favorites 
for the men's game. It's n- it's never that you know it's never one for one where the women's team is uh, equal placing, especially in these women's tournaments. It's where the, the U.S. is really usually one of the favorites, where uh, in the men's tournament not so much. So that's another interesting thing, and also also uh, why it should be more why it should be something that should take interest to U.S. fans because the U.S. is always a favorite going into these women tournaments. Exactly, and it's to me it's so interesting that it's. It's in Russia. Of, um, I don't remember another tournament being held there, in Moscow and Saint Petersburg. I don't, I don't think it's a first, but in my memory, there there hasn't been a tournament. Have we even had a game that we've played in Russia that you know not of? The that US? I know, no, not the U.S. national. Team. But interesting that it's a first time 16 teams showing a growth where of course so many people were deceived disappointed when the women's league failed well it's it's interesting to see that fifa's choosing all these different choosing all these different locations throughout the world to play these tournaments and uh it also shows that uh how universal soccer is where unlike other sports uh in this country and, and that's what's so great about it is uh anyone and any country knows about soccer where uh, will have no clue what you're talking about if you're talking about if you're going over to say Russia and talking about baseball. So that's one of the great things about the sport. Exactly the the billions of people involved in the sport, billions and billions. How many watched the World Cup final? Over, I I don't want to, but it was over billions. <laughs> well, the other thing as far as on the national team note is. Uh, U.S. national team is still yet to announce their coach, which is a little bit surprising that they've waited this long. It seems just about every other team who fired their coach during the World Cup has announced their new coach. Uh, the favorite was Jurgen Klinsmann, but um, it also seems like as it goes on, maybe he becomes more of a favorite because there was talk of him wanting some time off. So maybe they are waiting for him. But at the same time, a guy like Peter Novak is certainly making a case for himself after coaching the All-Stars uh, to the victory over Chelsea, doing amazingly well with D.C., and then cl- coaching D.C. to an excellent draw with Real Madrid, he's uh, certainly got to be pushing his name higher up on that list. He's a fabulous coach. The funniest thing I heard this week was when uh, they were playing Real Madrid, and the in- one of the announcers said, well, for the second half of this game, are you going to be, like, subbing uh, a lot of players in? And what he said, we're playing Real Madrid for, and I can't repeat, sake. I was like, whoa. I mean, this guy can coach. He knows the opponent. He knows... He's meshed a team together. That there's, I don't want to see, actually, that the MLS Cup is just a done deal. I really don't want to, but it would seem that way. Certainly. They've been playing really well. Uh, well they did have an unfortunate loss recently to Salt Lake on two penalty kicks, but this team has been running away with the league. Uh, I don't see any way that the Revs will end up catching them, unless D.C. Uh, certainly not in the Revs' destiny, so it would take an amazing collapse from D.C. for any team to catch up with them in the East. Uh, it's it's just amazing to see how much they're running away with it. It's like the team was uh, in six or six or ten years ago back exactly. when the start of the league when they were the champions uh, three of the first four years. So uh, re- really building on that again, they've really been the class team of the league over, over its history. And this year they're breaking even the records that they've set in the past for how well they've done. And think about a player like Jaime Moreno. Has he gotten the, enough as I was watching him play in that game versus Real Madrid, the class player he is, he's been with the league since the beginning. Has he gotten the recognition he deserves? I don't think so. Well, it really showed something when a player like Cannavaro, who's 
uh, in my opinion, the best defender in the world. Uh, Jaime Moreno was not afraid to take him on, and he actually managed to beat him one time uh, uh, where, where no one else was able to. So it, it shows the class of a player like Jaime Moreno, and it's amazing that he stayed in the league all this time. But has the league ever given him uh, honors, recognition? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if he's got an MVP, maybe of an All-Star game. It I don't even know if he's got. Like it that. doesn't it seems, seem like he's. It seems like he gets overlooked, whereas the players like Marco Echeverri in the past have been. Uh, he ran away with the honor. Seems so he, he obvious, but uh, he's a great player, and I think uh, even now, later in his career, he's been doing uh, playing the best soccer of his career. But another player to look at is Freddie Dew on DC United. Oh, he was fabulous. He, he has been uh, over Coming the past couple of years, maybe a little bit. Uh, disappointing as far as reaching expectations being mostly a sub, but this season has been really been a breakout year for, breakout him, starting, year for him, starting just about every game, and in these competitions against Chelsea, he looked good, and against Real Madrid, he looked amazing. Amazing. He was taking on all their players. He was he was just amazing, which made that game so unbelievably entertaining. And it certainly brings more hope for the U.S. fans uh, as the national team goes forward. Uh, and back on the national team topic, uh, you've seen a lot of these players doing well, uh, younger players coming up. So 2010 could be a big year. A guy like Johan Smith, uh, right here from right from Connecticut on uh, Bolton, 19 years old, scored his first goal for the first team in a recent friendly. Uh, amazing pace from him. Uh, there's several players like that. Uh, Lee Nguyen, I know I pronounced that wrong, but playing for uh, PSV, uh, has been seeing some first-team action recently. I believe he's only 18 or 19. So there's some excellent young players coming up, and uh, it's an exciting time for U.S. soccer. It's an exciting time. With the right coach, he's going to make a, a ton of changes on that team. We have four years to get ready. The showing uh, in Germany was horrendous. We're a big country. We have a lot of talent. We have all the resources, all the training facilities. Huge failure. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there as far as with the right coach. That is, you know, the key. And if the, if the U.S. Soccer Federation is holding out to make sure they get that right coach, then uh, I'm all for it because this is a team that has a lot of potential coming up with some of these young players. Um, well, we said that last year, last time too, and I think part of that was the coaching of Bruce Arena, uh, where he went away from what, what did so well in 2002. Uh, they need a coach who's going to be willing to take risks and not just play uh, to grind out the draw. Someone who's going to play attacking soccer and get these wins, and that's some, something you saw from Jurgen Klinsmann in the World Cup, where maybe past German coaches haven't done it, and, and, he, and he, he would be an excellent option, I think, for the he U.S. He used a lot of young players that made the German people, at first, they were very leery of his tactics, of what his strategy was going to be by bringing in all these new young players, but he won them over. Unfortunately, he, for Germany, we may be, the United States may benefit from from that, the German people would have kept him on as coach. He oh, had they wanted very, to. He chose they himself to. to resign, which I think gives more hope that he might come on with the U.S. Uh, he does live right in California, so the the drive to uh, training would certainly be a lot quicker than flying to Germany like he had been doing. And of course, the U.S. doing well in the World Cup in 2010 would be a big boost for U.S. soccer. When we fail in Europe and at a World Cup, it, it doesn't help MLS or soccer. However, based on this past week and the people that came out to watch soccer, I'm very, very optimistic about the future of the league. And, of course, we did have Don Garber's uh, state of the league, and he's planning to expand to 16 teams. 
by the year 2010, Ten, I believe. He's planning on a big expansion. That's a big expansion to, to 16 teams. He's got many cities in mind. Certainly, and the start of that will be next year when they expand to 13 teams with Toronto, which should be interesting with a unbalanced schedule and how they will manage to fit 13 teams and uh, whether they keep the conference schedule. It does sound like they're planning on keeping the conferences, so that'll be very interesting uh, where Toronto goes and how they work that out. And we saw the Canadian refs. They're bringing in refs now at, at our MLS at Revs Kansas City game. There were two refs from Canada. And the idea being they're now starting to incorporate the Canadian referees into MLS, pending, of course, this entry of Toronto and into Toronto, the league. As we're talking about stadiums, Toronto themselves, stadium is being built, uh, and that sh- should be ready for next year. Uh, personally, I'm not impressed by the looks of that one as much as I am by New York Red Bulls, but uh, just a great state, great for the tem- team to be having their own stadium. Well, the New York Red Bulls stadium is going to have a capacity of 25,000. However, it can expand. So if the fan base grows, they can grow that stadium. And I think that's the key here with a lot of these stadiums that they're making them expandable, hoping that uh, they will eventually be constantly sold out. As Los Angeles has done very well as far as selling out a lot of their games, uh, I think that the goal is to do that and then eventually expand the stadiums and make these stadiums so they can grow as the league grows. That's the ideal, because 25,000 is not that many. When you consider this week we had crowds of 67,000. When you get these European teams coming in, or South American teams, like, or Mexican teams like America, when America plays Chivas, you can have 92,000 fans in California, so, or Houston. Look at the market we have now in Houston. I think the league did a very good uh, thing in moving that team from San Jose to Houston. We'll look at the crowd in Seattle there, and that was some talk Seattle, of Seattle being right. a possible expansion location. So that's another interesting possibility. And when we're talking about these teams, Barcelona has expressed interest in the past in having an MLS team that actually one of their uh, key members in the front office there attended the MLS Cup last year, and they're certainly very interested in that. And there has been some talk that this tour was sort of the search out and find the best location where the most Barcelona fan are, fans are to build their stadium and I think that would be an uh, excellent opportunity for the league should Barcelona choose to invest in the league and buy their own team well the, the cities which John Garber mentioned Philadelphia Cleveland, St. Louis Las Vegas Milwaukee San Diego Atlanta and Miami, which as we've said, I don't know if on air, but I've said, I believe Miami will get a team back. Certainly, Miami FC has been, I believe, drawing fairly good crowds, and they've brought in some good players that are probably capable of playing in MLS. But while we're on that topic, Rochester left off again. They just built a beautiful stadium, uh, great fan base. Their attendance averages over a lot of MLS teams, really. So it's kind of surprising that we heard a lot of that in the past, but the talk of Rochester being an expansion team has really died off. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why that happened either, because they have the fan base and they have the stadium, and those were prerequisites. I think everyone who's seen their stadium has been very impressed with it. So they are uh, you know, doing a great job for a team in U.S., Division One, they have some great players, as we've talked about, how well they've done against MLS competition in the past. So it seems like that would be a, you know, an easy team to expand to, uh, especially next year where they're having 13 teams. Obviously, it's probably a little too late now to make that a 14th team, but it, it does seem surprising that Rochester has been left off the list recently. 
Well, the other item that I wanted to mention is how are we going to next year, Sean, squeeze in all the soccer? We've got games now that will be played on Thursday nights. Don Garber has signed a fabulous TV deal with ESPN ABC so that... Spanish television rides with the universe Spanish as well. television. There's going to be soccer Wednesday nights. He's planning to have MLS teams playing Mexican league teams on Wednesday nights. We're going to have soccer televised on Thursday nights. That's part of the deal going forward, which was a fabulous TV deal. In the past, I remember the MLS struggling so hard to get any TV coverage. They had, so this, the fact that uh, we've got this, I think that deal goes to 2000, it goes to the 2014 with ESPN 2. They're now going to be paying the league for uh, for the television, uh, for the opportunity to televise MLS games. that That's really huge. I'm talking about the scheduling next year, uh, there's also the Gold Cup that will be taking place next Gold year. Gold Cup. Uh, Copa America, which there's still a little bit of talk about the U.S. possibly participating in. I think that would be a great opportunity for the U.S., but at the same time, it would be hard for them to schedule that. But with all the players playing in Europe currently, uh, maybe not so hard with just calling in maybe even an all-Europe squad or the possibility of the right in a row. Why not give an all-MLS squad for the Gold Cup, an all-European squad for the Copa America? Use these really as tournaments to build for the World Cup rather than uh, maybe focusing all out and winning them. And those are games that are viewed... Uh, Worldwide, Also, the Copa America is a huge tournament, and the U.S. would gain in prestige. They have participated in the past. Then it stopped. I'm not sure why, because they were in the Copa America in 95, I think and they did of, well. I think part of that is the conflicts with uh, MLS scheduling, but now as the teams get deeper with the reserve squads, with, uh, with the depth the teams have, losing maybe 10 or, t- 10 or 11 players... Uh, to the, to the Copa America squad, I don't. I think the t- league could put up with that. They showed during the World Cup, uh, still quality soccer was being produced. I think that's something that they could handle now uh, more than they could back then. And Sean, any success on an international level, World Cup, Copa America, Concacaf, only makes MLS and soccer in this country stronger. It does not diminish it. That's my premise anyway. It's going to make soccer stronger. And we got to wrap things up here before we do. I'll let. Uh, Patty, talk a little about Providence Sports, the magazine that you write for. Yes, Providence Sports. The editor is Irvin Torres. It covers all sports. It's a Hispanic magazine. It's published once monthly. It it comes out and it's uh, distributed free of charge all over Providence. And we've done a great job over eight years, I believe, to consistently publish every month and cover not only soccer, but all sports that are going on in the state of Rhode Island and even the New England Patriots. Well, we'll wrap things up now. Uh, archives can be heard at revolutionrecap.com. Uh, the, the next upcoming Revs game happens to be a Sunday. Uh, we're hoping to get right from that game back to the studio, so we should be on next week. Uh, and I'd like to thank Patty for joining me in the studio today. Thank you, Sean, for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. And I'd like to thank Andy Dorn for uh, coming on over the phone. And we'll be back next week.